This is the Michael K. Show podcast. Listen live weekday afternoon starting at 3 on 98.7 ESPN in New York. The ESPN app, the TuneIn app, or on your smart speaker. Hey Alexa, play 98.7 ESPN. This is 98.7 ESPN, a Good Karma Brands radio station. WEPN-FM, New York. Invited Celebrity Classic takes place at Las Colinas Golf uh, Country Club in Irving, Texas. That's from April 19th through the 21st. PGA Tour champion professionals will play 54 holes of stroke play for a purse of $2 million with the celebrities in a $500,000 competition. And one of those celebrities joins us right now, Baseball Hall of Famer Greg Maddox. And I do not, I truly do not believe it's hyperbolic to say that when you talk about the greatest pitchers who have ever lived, Greg Maddox is in that discussion in the top five, and it's just a thrill to be able to talk to him. Greg, how are you doing? It's Michael, Don, and Peter. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. All right, so there are a couple of pitchers, Greg, that are still unsigned, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery, and I'm just wondering, how late can you go into spring training before it affects you being able to be ready at the beginning of the season? Uh, that's a good question. I think everybody's a little different. I think if you get, uh, you know, four or five starts in, I think you'll be ready once the season starts. So, you know, you're looking at a month before the season, you know, I know, uh, the year we got locked out, we had a rush spring training. I think it lasted about two or three weeks. And I think, uh, you know, everybody was close and opening day ready. And, uh, we were by this by the second week of the season. So, uh, uh, you know, spring training's about, you know, nine or 10 days too long anyway. And uh, I don't think there's the urgency, just not quite yet to get these guys signed. Would you, I mean, with all the information that's made available now to pitchers, you know, shape of pitches, stuff like that, do you think that you uh-huh. would have used that? Would you, would it have, I don't know how anything could have made you better because you were as great as you were, but is that something that you could have applied to your craft, you think? I mean, I think you can pull some things out of it, you know, no doubt. Uh, you know, you're always looking for an edge. And, if uh, you know, the thing is, you get all this information, but you have to be able to execute it. And I think uh, uh, if it's something that fits with, with what you do on the mound, I think absolutely you try to take advantage of it. But you got to be able to throw it. You know, I had uh, – there was a lot of guys that couldn't hit a slider when I played. And, you know, Smoltzy had one and I didn't. So I had to find another way to do it. How much I've I've always wondered about this about your guys' rotation. How much interpersonal competition was there? I I know we've heard about the golf, the golf outings, and the good times and the championships, of course. But how much did the other guys drive you on that Braves team? Well, I think when you're around, you know, Glavin, Smoltzy, you know, Avery, you know, Marker, Mark Wallers, you know, Denny Nagel at the time, I think. You know, anytime you're seeing guys go out there pretty routinely and and going six, seven, eight innings every start out, you know, you kind of want to do the same. So I think we push one another. I don't think we really competed a whole lot against each other, at least not on the field. Off the field, we absolutely did. 
but uh, on the field, we kind of supported one another, and uh, we actually tried to help one another as well, too. You know, I think uh, Leo was a pitching coach, but uh, Smoltz might say something, Glab might say something, one of the hitters might say something. You know, Chipper was pretty good for the pitchers. You know, he would always talk hitting, and and, and that allowed us to try to uh, understand the hitters' approach a little bit better. So, uh you know, we all helped each other, but uh, supported one another, being competitive in the clubhouse, you know, unless it was a card game or a Nerf hoop or something like that. There were, there really wasn't a whole lot of competition. We're talking with Greg Maddox here on the Michael K Show. So, Greg, you said, you know, each guy would go six, seven, eight innings. I mean, that's like so far into today's game. How chapped would you be? You know, you're about to go third time through the order and they say, OK, it's time to go to the bullpen because that's the way the game is now, Greg. Yeah, it is. You know, uh, you know, we tried to start what, you know, we tried to finish what we started and the guys here, if they can go five or six good innings, the bullpen takes over. I think, uh, uh, you know, it's cool to have complete games and all that, but, you know, throwing five or six innings, maybe we could have, you know, went to a four man rotation and, uh, you know, pitched a lot longer, who knows, but, uh, uh, you know, the game's always evolving a little bit. I know the guys before us were throwing 300 innings. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, the game keeps evolving, and uh, it's definitely an advantage uh, for the pitcher if you only have to get the guy out two or three times. Do you like the way the game is now, the evolution of the game, where it doesn't seem like strikeouts really bother people, and, you know, it's kind of a whale and bell approach with launch angle trying to hit home runs? Would you be able <laughs> to exploit that, Greg? Yeah. I would like to think I could. I mean, you know, you're always trying to adapt and and get the most out of your game. You're always trying to figure out the hitter's approach. And, uh, uh, you know, I think the guys probably when we played hit their approaches a little bit better than the guys today. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we've talked to you before about this. And when you, you were younger, you did throw harder. But when you became Greg Maddox, the great Greg Maddox, you know, you really commanded the zone and you threw your pitches with precision. It seems like now, Greg, it's all about throwing as hard as you can for as long as you can. <laughs> and I wonder if a guy, like when you were at the height of your greatness, I don't know if that guy would have been drafted. I mean, like you said at the beginning, you did throw hard, but the great Greg Maddox probably yeah. wouldn't be drafted. So how do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, is that something that's is that fair to pitchers that could be great like you that never get the chance? Well, you know, it, it is all about the velo now, and uh, uh, but if you you know if if, if you watch the games today, it, it's it's still not a speed contest. It's it still is a pitching contest, and, and, and you know the guys that are going out there and pitching and executing you know, more pitches than the guy they're facing are still the guys winning. You know, you can watch Kershaw or Verlander or those guys, you know, uh, Scherzer, you watch those guys go out there and pitch and, and they're, they're executing more pitchers than their opponent. And, you know, that's why you always see those guys at the top of the list once the season's over. Your brother has become such a great pitching coach, one of the most respected pitching coaches in the game. Did you see that in him? And mm-hmm. now on a fun aside, whenever he comes out to the mound, Greg, he puts his hand yeah. on the pitcher. Was he always handsy like yeah. that as a kid? <laughs> yeah, they they get their warm fuzzy. I guess we, <laughs> we always uh, we always joke we we always joke with them about that. Uh oh, this guy's he better start pitching better, or he's going to get a warm fuzzy. You know, and sure enough, a hitter or two later, he's out there. You know, getting the warm fuzzy, trying to settle him down a little <laughs> bit. So, uh, you know, he's always been a good mentor. You know, even uh, you know. 
he's you know four and a half years older than me growing up as kids he was always my mentor he uh uh he always accomplished what i wanted to accomplish and then uh uh you know he was always a year or two ahead of me and uh it was a great person for me personally to lean on and uh you know we learned from the same pitching coach at a young age you know we learned it was all about movement and location changing speeds and then velocity so uh uh, you have to be able to execute pitches, you know, whether you're throwing 88 or 98, you know, the pitcher that throws it, that keeps it out of the, out of the middle of the plate the longest is the one that's going to win. One right. thing we talk about on the show a lot, Greg, with regard to the way the game's changed uh, in analytics is, is the the lack of respect for hot that they seem to have. Um what are your thoughts on that? How how relevant was it to you, either personally to feel like you were in a zone, or on the other side, facing a batter who you just knew was in a zone? It just seems like they can't account for that with analytics. <laughs> well, I mean, we had analytics too, but we just called them scouting reports. You know, it's <laughs> kind of the same thing. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever, you know, you got to get 27 outs. And, you know, there are certain guys you don't want to pick on. You know, if Barry Bonds is in the lineup, you better get the other eight guys out. If Tony Gwynn's in the lineup, you better get the other eight guys out. So, uh, you know, you have to pick your fights and uh, do what you can to get 27 outs. And if you have to pitch around guys in order to do that, then, you know, that's obviously what you do. All right. So, Greg, um, we're here in New York. And I always play the what-if mm-hmm. game. It was supposedly very, you know, very down to the last minute that you were going to be a Yankee. Do you ever play the what-if game if you had signed with the Yankees? How many championships you would have won? Now, obviously, you had great success <laughs> with Atlanta. But how close was yeah. it that you became a Yankee? Oh, it was real close. I mean, I was I, I flew to New York to sign a contract. And uh, uh, I guess there were some health issues with one of the people in the Yankee organization. And uh, it didn't quite work out. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't think I had a chance to play in Atlanta when I went to New York. And then, uh, you know, a couple of days later, they were able to move a player and make room for me. And, uh, you know... It was probably best for me that I stayed in the National League. You know, I knew that league. That was before uh, interleague, and uh, you know, I thought it was a huge, uh, a huge advantage for me to be able to hit and face the pitcher and run the bases and all that stuff. And uh, I definitely want to stay in the National League. And uh, you know, I don't play the what if game a whole lot. You know, you look back on it now and you see guys, you know, with four or five championship rings over there, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have, but. I wouldn't trade my time in Atlanta for anything. You know, Greg, the the late Gene Michael used to just rave about you to me. Did you like dealing with Gene when, yeah. when he was recruiting you? Yeah, I love Stick. He was awesome. Uh, he was my uh, he was my first manager over there in Chicago as well. So uh, I got a chance to play for him as a manager, and then he became the general manager in, in you know in for the Yankees and. Uh, you know, I remember he flew out to Vegas. We uh, spent a day golfing and, and, you know, catching up and, you know, talking baseball and all that in the clubhouse there. And uh, always had a lot of respect for Gene. All right. So of all the pitchers right now, you know, Garrett Cole, Cy Young in the uh, American League, Blake Snell in the National League, who's your favorite pitcher to watch? <laughs> well, when he's healthy, it's the Grom. Right. You know, I think, uh, you know, watching him, when he's a hundred percent, you know, I, I don't think we've ever seen 
anything like it. You know, he's got a, a Nolan Ryan fastball and with great command. You know, he's change up, break and ball, uh, controls himself on the mound mentally. He's very good and uh, just, uh, you know, complete package. Now, it's funny because when, when he was with the Mets, you know, the, the, the dialogue or the narrative was, well, you can't throw that hard pitch after pitch after pitch. Sooner or later, the, the arm is going to give out. Do you think that played into the injuries? I mean, can a, a human arm throw 99 for like 50, 60 straight pitches other than Nolan Ryan? Well, there were a lot of guys, too, uh, throwing 80, you know, in the high 80s that were blowing out their elbows as well. So I think, uh, you know, everybody's bigger, stronger, faster today. And uh, who knows? Who knows? It could be genetics. It could be the fact maybe you're right. He, he threw too hard for too long. But uh, who really knows? And, uh, you know, there's plenty of guys. I think it's the effort you put into throwing is it's not exactly how fast you're throwing. It's how much effort you're putting in to throw that fast. And uh, watching the watching the throw, it's a very easy 98. You know, he's not grunting and snorting. It just comes out at 98. The other guys, it comes out at 92. You know, my buddies were asking you about the analytics, and I and I remember you and and, and Tom Glavin were under a lot of scrutiny when Quest Tech came in. Like, would you be getting the corners, and how much would your game change? How much do you think your game would change with robot umpires? Well, I, you know, I feel like I threw as many strikes as anybody, so the umpires miss more strikes on me than everybody else. You know, that's kind of how <laughs> I look right. at it. You know, I think uh, uh, I look at the strike zone today, and I'd love to have that high strike. You know, I think uh, you can get a lot of strikes pitching up in the zone, which you see guys doing today, which is what we couldn't do. Uh, we did get a little bit more off the corners, but uh, you know I think it's more than made up for it with the strike zone today. Just, just with that high strike. So you know the strike zone to me is pretty much a wash. And uh, you know I enjoy watching the guys throw today. Like I said earlier, you know they're all bigger, stronger, faster. Uh, you know better breaking balls, stuff like that. They're it's kind of fun to watch. I know it's uh, it's a lot harder on the hitter these days today than it was back when we played. Hi, Greg Maddox is our guest, third annual Invited Celebrity Classic at Las Colinas Country Club. Does golf give you the competition, Jones, that you miss by not playing? Uh, no, golf's fun. You know, it's relaxing. It's a way to get out of the house, hang out with your buddies, uh, you know, go on trips, get a chance to see the world. You know, last year we went over to Scotland, got a chance to play golf, and uh, that was pretty special. You know, uh you know, recently I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have a golf trip at Pebble Beach, and then we went to Hawaii and played there. You know, it's just a, uh, it's a great way to see the world and vacation and and do something you enjoy doing. Greg, we always love talking to you. We really do, and we appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. That's the great Hall of Famer, Greg Maddox, and uh, I mean the the way he would pitch. I mean, you know, he mentioned. You know, get the other guys out with Tony Gwynn. If you look, he had he had great success against Tony Gwynn. He had great success against great hitters. He just knew where to pitch them, how to use their aggressiveness again. He was really a, a technician on the mound, and uh, it was it was it was it was like seeing a guy, you know, paint this beautiful picture. That's how, he was an artist on the mound. He really was. So, boy, can you imagine if he had been on those Yankee teams? I mean, I, they won four out of five. So I don't know how many more they would have won. But um, with that offense, wow, 
it would have been unbelievable. So somebody uh, got sick. So that allowed the Atlanta Braves to have a day or two to, to move the salary. And that's why I ended up in Atlanta. Yeah, I don't know if I ever remember a pitcher being as dominant as he was in the mid-90s. And we saw some great pitchers, Pedro in his prime and, and Clemens. And, and, but there was that period of time, Michael, like between you know 94, that shortened season, 95 especially when they did win that championship in the 96 where he was just almost untouchable. And he did it in a way like, like, in, like Peter, like in boxing. They're fighters and then there are boxers. Like he just understood the, the sweet science, if you will, of pitching. He didn't blow anybody away. He just knew how to pitch. And it was just so frustrating to watch him beat your team the way he would beat the Mets and beat everybody else in the National League. The thing and that I loved about it's him. It's amazing, Michael. I'm sorry, real quick, I was going to say. And they already had Smoltz and Glavin when he got there. So it, yeah. So it's it's fascinating that he shows up. He's the last one, and he's the best one. It it, it was it was crazy. It, what a time! What what a time for Atlanta Braves baseball that was. And they were truly like the national team. They were America's team at that time. Yeah, because that was you know Turner Broadcasting was you know the yeah. one national place that carried that one team. And you know the Cubs got a little bit of it with WGN. But uh, I love I love watching a pitch because Don Don used the right word. He was dominating. But he didn't have dominating stuff. So to be able to dominate without throwing 100 miles an hour is kind of incredible. It shows you the artistry of the pitch. And he was, he was amazing. And his brother is a great pitching coach as well. Did you also know the story that uh, his daughter on her prom, you know, because Greg lived in Long, Las Vegas, his daughter for her prom went out with, wait for it, Joey Gallo. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. They dated? He took her out to the prom for a date. I don't, I don't know if they, I guess they dated before that a little bit, but I was going to ask him that. Oh, I thought that might have been a little bit intrusive. Well, I guess it's I guess it's possible that Greg was hoping that uh, Joey was with uh, his daughter the way he played, that he struck, struck out. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you did there. You see that? You see yeah, what happened I did. there? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to JJ in North Carolina. JJ. Hi, JJ. Um, so when uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to play the role of Michael here for a second. I apologize in advance. Um, I you know I I love you. You're the great you're the great hockey radio voice of the Rangers. And being there at that game yesterday, did you think at all, even for a split second? God, it's got to be. It's killing me that I'm not calling this game, and the and the Kenny Albert is because you're really the I, true voice of the Rangers. I love no, this well, Michael that's not call. Uh, listen, what I, I've been at all five of the outdoor games the Rangers played in. I've been uh, on the ice for all five of them. Um, listen, would it be great to call? But I loved what I did. I, I was. I had a great view. I, I felt like I was a part of the broadcast. Uh, that was the one time uh, Sunday. Where I was, I was very happy where I was at. You know, it's funny that, think, JJ, yeah. that JJ said he was playing Michael K, and we thank you for the phone call. But I, I was going to ask you that same question yesterday, but then I said, you know what? Yeah. I can't continue to, to, to transfer my thought process to him. Because even if he feels like that, he's going to no. be a phony baloney. And no. Not, oh, no, I was happy freezing my butt off. Of course you want to call the game. No, no but, no, but did, uh, I am being genuine. The first four times, I'm like, how cool would it be to call a, a Winter Classic or a Stadium Series game? Like, to, not, to call one of those games at Yankee Stadium, Michael, that's like a forever moment. So it would have been so cool to do the play-by-play. But from where you were situated, he was calling it from 
the uh, the radio booth for football. So you were he was so far away where I didn't get a chance to talk to Kenny. I wouldn't doubt if he was probably calling a lot of it off the monitor because of how far the ice was. So it's cool to say that you did the play-by-play for an outdoor game, but you're so far removed. I was at ice level. I got to experience the crowd. I got to be right on top of the biggest play of the game. So, no, that's the one time where I'm very happy with where I was situated and where uh, I was on that call. So, no, I I, I do not wish I was calling that game on Sunday. Uh, Peter. um, Yeah. I just found out today Mm -hmm. that uh, Beetlejuice 2 is being made with Michael Keaton. Did you know that? I did. I, I forgot when I saw that, but I, I'm I very excited. Hmm. I'm not the. I don't know how I, I feel I, about I, that. I'm not like the world's biggest Beetlejuice guy. Really? Like I like I like Beetlejuice, but it's not like a movie I rewatch all the time or anything. Oh, yeah, Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm a a Michael. It's I'm, preference. I don't think he, I don't think that you're gonna. It's a, it's a delightful a movie. Person. Everything about it. You it probably haven't seen it once. Movie. Michael probably I, saw it once when it came out when he was 20 and hasn't thought of it again I, since. No, no. I actually I, saw the Broadway show, too, which is a delight. Wow. I, I really enjoy it a lot. I'm just not sure, what, 30 years removed, whether Michael Keaton is going to be able to pull it off. Well, uh, you know what he said? What I've been reading today, Don, he will not do he – he told the director, I don't want to do green screens. So they're doing real acting. So he said, the people that I'm talking to are in front of me. I mean, but, but he was so young, and there was there was uh, it was vibrant, uh, and you can't play off while it's thirty years later because he was dead to begin with. So I don't think you <laughs> age when you die. Great point. By so I know you have to suspend reality, but I, I honestly, I'm 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 good on this. I you, I think they should lay out. You think you think uh, Alec Baldwin's back? Do you think Gina Davis is back? You, uh, who's the, the who played the girl? Um, oh, Winona Ryder. Winona, I wonder if they're all coming yeah. back. And by the oh, way, I was wrong. Come. Gwyn actually did hit Maddox, hit 415 against him. Bonds didn't. Really? I got that messed up. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay for all of the humans to age because there's different things that you could you could do with it, you know, that they're older now and what's going on in their life. I mean, everybody, I think, in, in the, the movie is still with us. Uh, but I just don't know if it works for Michael Keaton. That was a very athletic, vibrant role. He's now still he's very athletic and vibrant. He's a, he's a great actor. Yes. I don't know, I, I, I then wasn't he running acting. down the street in, in the Academy of uh, Bird something? That Without, movie was a good. That movie was a good ten years ago. I don't think it was that long ago. What, the, the Birdman movie. Yeah. Oh, that was like seven years ago. Stand by. We'll, we'll get the information. I liked I, it. I I, 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 I think I'm good. 2014, 10 years now. Yes, that's what I'm telling you, man. I, All right, so you know what, Don? Don't watch the movie. I'll be I, there. Listen, there's a very good chance that uh, even if I wanted to watch it, I wouldn't get around to seeing it. But I really like that movie, appreciate the movie, and I don't want them to mess it up. So I'm kind of rooting for it to do well, but I just don't feel like it can. But Peter, you, know, you know what you, I'm saying? You said it well, though. It's not like he died. The, the character lives forever. He's dead. <laughs> I understand, what, what, but then you. But why are you resisting it, though? That's my question. What's the What's the resistance? Because I'm afraid that it's not going to be good, and it'll damage the legacy of the original. Oh my! So dramatic. Dare to live. I mean, I, and you know what? I, I I know that we're a little disconnected today, but um, you know, I, I wish I could have explained why I'm good 
with the documentary with Tom Brady and the and the dynasty. He, well, Michael didn't he let never, you. He blew right. He blew no, right he, right no, no, he me. never so said just, anything. I mean, I, I don't stop him from talking. It's been a it's been a failed experiment for twenty two years. All of a sudden, he wasn't gonna, able to get his thing in. Hey, I just felt like you were ready to move on, and no. I wasn't going to interrupt you. Because well, I, if you could do it in thirty seconds, do it. I, I lived through the dynasty, and, and when Tom Brady retired, I did, it didn't even occur to me to say, boy, I wish there were more. I was like, I was good. Tom Brady, when he retired, handed me back a dry towel. He rang it out. Yeah, but there was you know nothing what? left. I'm uh, good. Here's why I think you're full of it, okay? Uh, you, you, what was the movie that Booger was in? Porky's? No, how dare you? Revenge of the Nerds. All right, Revenge so you, you, nerds, you wrung it out, but you still want to know behind the scenes. This tells you how the sausage is made, Don. How could you say <laughs> you're good? Know. Do you I'm, read I'm history good. books? No, I've you know, seen it. I was at his and- first Super Bowl. Oh, no, listen, there's, if there's a story that's been told, it's, it's the birth of Christ and Tom Brady. I mean, there's nothing it's- left. That's it. Uh, I think Peter's with me. No, Peter I, I, loved I, the first I, episode. Wants to hang I loved it. Tail. I loved it, but I also feel what Don's saying. It's not an undertold story. I mean, but, but you I, know what? I, if this if this documentary is done well, there are undertold stories. I learned a lot I'm in good. the first two. Good. And if I don't, don't know, don't them, enjoy I'm good. it. Don't enjoy well, I'm it. I'm not then. a fan. I'm not a patriot fan. If it was doesn't a matter. Don't you want to see? Greatness? You know what? Tell me the episodes when they get into the two times the Giants beat them. Okay, I'll, I'll those. tell you that. I will. <laughs> don't get to him. Such an obstinate ox. He really is. No, I'm good. I'm good. Oh, he you can be a little off. Are you going to watch the dunk contest? I don't care if they're using human heads to dunk. I'm not I, watching. I was busy That's watching Don something that had, I'm just being honest with you. What, do I got to follow the herd? I think you'd appreciate somebody like me. No, I don't. I don't appreciate you How many all. times we tell you about quality <laughs> programming? Peter, how many times? Quality programming. No, he's good. He's not going to watch. This is the one thing he because has to watch. Because you want me to watch The Wire and, and Better Call Saul. If it has to do with sports, you should be watching it for the show. No, that's that's unfair. Now you're being unfair. I don't do a show in Boston. Oh. Well done. Calm down. See, Everyone be calm. I'm going to take the silence as him admitting I'm right. No, no. You no know I, I, I'm, I'm so <laughs> frustrated with you sometimes. You're just such an obstinate ox. You really are. Nothing convinces <laughs> Look you. Look who's talking. Peter, do you know he's who's an obstinate, here? Obstinate ox. That's what we call him. <laughs> He's very obstinate. Right. I don't know what it means, but I know he's that. We have the great college um, writer for the Post, Zach Braziller. I believe that's how he pronounced his last name. Oh. He will join us to talk about the Rick Patino stuff in just a moment. But first, Peter's going to tell us about better help. No, I'll tell you about Bathfitter. And here's the deal. <laughs> They remodeled my bath. They did an incredible job, and it was customized for my needs. The process was easy. One expert installer, done in a day. No demo, no mess. And Bathfitter is a permanent, high-quality solution with a lifetime guarantee. Three million happy customers just like me. For a limited time, get 0% interest or save $500 on a complete Bathfitter system. Start designing your bath today like I did at bathfitterdesign.com. There's only one Bathfitter. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Thanks for listening to the Michael K Show podcast. Hey, buddy, hey. Catch the show on demand wherever you want. Just subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. So the Rick Pitino story is is fascinating to me. The things that he said after the Seton Hall loss and pretty much threw all of his players under the bus. They can't move laterally. They have to reach in and foul. They didn't know how to do a bounce pass. I've tried to teach it. And after a month, they finally learned. And then he kind of doubled down uh, coming back yesterday and saying, you know what? I didn't do anything wrong, and you know, I didn't insult anybody. Uh, and if you're into college sports – uh, Zach Braziller does an unbelievable job, both football and basketball, in the New York Post. And I want to have him on today and so he could talk to us about the, the whole Patino situation. And he joins us now. Zach, it's Michael, Don, and Peter. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. You got it. So, Zach, were you more surprised at what he said or more surprised that he doubled down and didn't back off yesterday? No, I'm not surprised that he didn't back off yesterday. I mean, um, I'm surprised a little bit of what he said, but, you know, he's kind of said stuff like this all year. You know, he said we're not an athletic team. He said we're not a, a great team. Um, you know, he, he obviously went further um, on Sunday. There's no doubt about it. It's frustration of losing 8 of 10 and blowing one second-half lead after another clearly – got to him I, I talked to him today and you know he he doesn't think he was ripping anymore uh, clearly you know some of what he said they look behind closed doors they've heard worse from him it's not you know it's not a playing for Rick Pitino is incredibly difficult you can talk to anyone who's played for him from Kentucky to Louisville to Iona to wherever he's incredibly demanding he's incredibly tough um it's very difficult to play for him. He, you know, he. It's not a secret. Anyone will tell you that. And you know, it's obviously the last month has been really, really difficult. But no, I'm, I'm not surprised that he didn't back down because in his mind he was answering a question. And yes, he's going to say what's on his mind. A lot of sometimes it, he says things he probably, I guess, some people would think he would regret. But in his mind. You know, he's preparing these guys for what's to come. We talked today. He said, look, these guys are going to be in Europe. They have two bad games. They could get cut. That's just the nature of the business area. And in his mind, he's preparing them. Um, he's trying to build toughness in them. And look, there's clearly 
you know, it was a, a matter of frustration because they blew another game they really should have won. Um, and look, uh, the players clearly are not thrilled about it. We haven't talked to any players yet. I, you know, they play tomorrow at Georgetown, so I assume, you know, we, we will get to talk to players tomorrow. Um, but look, there's no doubt they're not happy about it. Uh, I wouldn't, I, nobody would be happy about hearing their name talked about publicly like that. But, you know, that's just kind of, that's who he is. It's part of the whole package with him. Yeah, but but isn't he responsible for having this roster? Doesn't he take any blame for having these players on his team? Look, I talked to him today about it. He said this season is on him, you know, that he would not grade himself well based on how this season has gone. Look, when he took over, they were going to have to remake the roster. There were, there were some players that were just not going to be able to come back. You know, the, the the culture under Mike Anderson had gotten really bad. You know, he tried to keep A.J. Storr, who's become a very good player at Wisconsin. Um, you know, he not being able to bring his star point guard, his star shooting guard from my owner, Walter Clayton, who ended up in Florida, has obviously hurt them. And they had to bring in a new roster. They had to do it quick. And clearly there were some mistakes. And, you know, let's see bears responsibility for the season. I, you know, I just posted a story where he said as much. Clearly this year has not gone according to plan. Um, and, you know, he's, look, the head coach is the general manager in college, you know, in, in college sports, especially college, in college basketball. So it ultimately weighs on, you know, it's ultimately on him this season. And, you know, he did express that with me today. I'm talking with Zach Brazilla of the New York Post, covers college sports for the Post. I'm wondering if you know he's realizing that in a place like St. John's, with you know the the wild, wild west nature of of college sports now, he can't be Rick Pitino, where he has you know Billy Donovan for three or four years and and turns him into the player that he wants him to be. Kind of breaks them down and builds them up. A lot of these guys, Zach, they're going to be one and done. I wonder if he can work the Pitino magic in this era in college basketball now. Look, it, that's clearly, uh, you know, a fair question. I know on social media in the last 48 hours, there's a lot of, it's been a lot of talk about, well, no one's going to stay there. They're not going to be able to get, get great players. Or, you know, if you're a recruit, why would you go there? I talked to people connected to their top recruit, Jaden Glover, and they're firmly all in on coming to St. John's. You know, um, they do have six guys who are out of eligibility. And most of those guys were guys that he was critical of um, on Sunday. You know, they have four players that, kind of key components of how they want to build this team around. And, you know, I expect at least two to three or even four uh, to come back. Ultimately, in, in this era, it's about NIL. It's about can you get me to the next level. And so, look, I'm not saying this is going to help recruiting. It obviously won't. But I don't think it's going to hurt it as much as some people think. But to your point about, you know, the revolving door every year, it's, it's clearly a question mark because, you know, People heard Rick Pitino say John's, and they think, oh, well, now all of a sudden we're going to have 10 top 10 recruits. And no, that's, that's kind of not really how he's built his success on it. It's about player development. It's about right. getting guys better. You know, they have a top a kid who was a top 40 kid coming in this year, Simeon Wilcher, who hasn't really played a lot, and they're still very high on him. And, you know, he said a million times, you know, Peyton Seaver and Russ Smith at Louisville didn't play for me as freshmen. And so they're, you know, he's, I'm kind of banking on really developing Simeon Wiltshire as being a huge part of this program going forward. But it's a definitely a valid question because you see it all the time where top-rated freshmen or 
you know, even regular rated freshmen don't play and they and they're gone. Now, can they keep guys? Can you know his history of setting players in the NBA and player development still continue here? I, I think it can, but it's obviously going to be different. There's no question. See, that's what I was going to ask you because when you look at his career, and this is a guy coached in Greece. He coached in Iona. He loves to coach. He loves to make a player better. So if St. John's ever got to the point where they had a bunch of one-and-dones, would he truly be happy? Would he truly feel like he would be working with these players the way he wants to? Yeah, look, I, you know, we all know he's a New York guy. It's, he grew up here. There's a, he, you know, he, he only left Iona because he didn't have to move. Like, he, he could have went and gotten to the job at Texas Tech. The year before, Maryland had interest in him, and, you know, he could have gone and gotten to that job. He, he didn't want to leave this area. And, right. you know, there was a big thing, which is him being, you know, being able to be the person to turn this program around. St. Charles hasn't won an NCAA tournament game since 2000. They haven't been to the main draw of the NCAA tournament since 2015. It's a program that's, you know, just, he always says it, it lost its brand. It's, you know, it's kind of, it's fallen off the map the last two plus decades. And, you know, obviously the fan base or what's left of it is very upset with how this year has gone. I just, I do think it's a little short-sighted to say after he had to completely remake the roster that, you know, he can't get it done. I, I fully expect them to be a good team next year. I fully expect him to win here. Um, he's not going to go out, you know, on a, you know, not being able to get it done. But look, they're they're going to have to do much better in the port in the transfer portal, and they're going to have to develop some of these young players because this year it's just just kind of falling apart after a good start. So is this is this whole thing of the last couple of days much ado about nothing except for the three us three codgers who were offended by? It? <laughs> no, I mean, look, you're not alone. I mean, you you see it everywhere. You know, to me, it's. It's some. It's a little bit of low hanging fruit where it's you know it's easy to, to pile on and it's easy to to hammer him and look he, you know I think he went over the line a little bit no question about it um, you know as someone who's been around basically every game at every press conference you've heard stuff like this before so not quite as strong it maybe as it was on Sunday but you've heard him talk about you know us not we're not being unathletic or you know we're not a great team. But it's a slow time, you know, slow sports time. There was no NBA this weekend, and, you know, they're big game, and they fall apart again. And, yeah, look, he, he went off. Um, but I, I think the way college basketball is now, NIL and, you know, getting to the next level is, re- is really all people want. I do not think it's going to hurt them in the long run. Look, coaches are going to use it to negative recruit. There's no question about that. But... You know they have a strong NIL in place. They they were top third, you know top third, top fourth in the Big East this year. It's only expected to improve for next year. They need to go out and get some good players. They need to go out and find players that better fit uh, the way they want to play. I, like he admitted today, he hasn't. You know he could he could he could do a better job than he has. Um, you know I I'm surprised at how this season has fallen apart because. At four and one in the league in mid January, it looked like a, a, a surefire tournament team that could win a game. And now they basically need, you know, going to have to win the biggest tournament basically to make the tournament. It, it's definitely a surprise, um, but I still would not bet against him, you know, turning this around in the years to come. And, and Zach, I think our radar went up because we're talking about college kids, but do we need to adjust? that whole idea of the amateur college athlete now that these guys are getting paid and does their skin have to be thicker because of that? 
That's a, it's a really good question. I, I've seen a bunch of people kind of pose that on, on social media that, well, now that they're getting paid, you know, are they open to criticism? You know, I, I rarely, really, I rarely will really rip a kid, you know, in, in my columns or my stories or anything. I, you know, even with them getting paid. And look, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're dealing with Jalen Brunson making $25, $30 million a year. Look, St. John's has a bunch of guys who are making six figures, but they're not, they're not hauling in millions. This isn't, you know, the SEC football where you have a quarterback who's, you know, making upwards of six or seven million. Um, so, like, I, I think it's definitely something to consider, though, you know, as we move forward, because they are getting paid. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as, well, now you can treat them exactly like pros because they're getting paid, because it's not the same. They're not, you know, like the St. John's players, their best players are going to probably play overseas and, you know, make six figures somewhere, probably similar to what they make in NIL, maybe more. Um, so I, I don't think it's one of those cases where it's like, well, now they get paid, so now it's free reign. Now we can treat them like the Knicks players or the Mets players or whatever. But I do think it is, you know, something that it's it's a new landscape now. It's it's a new world. You know, college athletes getting paid and the freedom of movement, and it's just it's changed college sports so much that I think it is something at least to consider. You know, as, right. as we kind of move into this new era. We, we have 30 seconds, so I give you 67 teams, and then there's UConn. Do you take the field, or do you take UConn to win the national championship? I'm taking UConn. I actually, my, my, my editor thinks I'm nuts. Uh, I wrote that in the paper on Monday. I'll take UConn. You can have the field. I think they're better than last year, as good as they were, and I think they're only getting better. Great stuff, Zach. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. You got it. That's Zach Brazilla. And so it's not much ado about nothing. He's not backing off of it. But I think the key point in all of this, and, and Don and Peter keep bringing this up, and I do as well, you criticize the players, you chose them. You brought them in. So if they're not athletic enough for what you do, that's an epic fail on your part. I don't care that you were rushed. Why would you bring in kids that weren't good enough to run what you want to run. Also, your point guard in Iona decided to go to Florida rather than join you in St. John's. Doesn't that send up a warning flare? That something's not all good and, and kosher in Denmark. Oh, I just, I just hate the defense of anyone. Say it's not a big deal because, A, he's always done this, and, B, he was telling the truth. Like, that just seems to be the defense, right? Well, that's just Rick, and he was also telling the truth. It still doesn't make it right. Don, tell us about Mazda. Yes, 2024. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Mazda. Yeah, sure. I love them. Over on Route 17 in Ramsey, New And you're Jersey. Don LaGreca, by the way. <laughs> and I am Don LaGreca for said Ramsey huh? Mazda. Yeah. That's what happens when you don't print your reads, Michael, and you get captivated and start talking about everything that's going on in the show. And you put your phone down and the phone resets. In 2024, you get more at Ramsey Mazda, more selection, and more savings. For a limited time, they'll waive the first lease payment. Lease a new 2024 Mazda CX-5 for $289 a month. And now get their first lease payment on them at Ramsey Mazda. Route 17 North in Ramsey, New Jersey. Choose wisely. Choose Ramsey Mazda. Call 833-853-2970 for lease details. Excludes tax, title, and registration. Zero security deposit. VIN R0410549. MSRP 30750 Ends 229 24
This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Thanks for listening to the Michael K Show podcast. Well, that's awesome. Looking for more access to the show? That's right, man. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TMKS ESPN. On the latest episode of down, War yeah. Room, you know, Kevin Durant vehicle, Rich Kleiman, no doubt, his man. Uh, his manager, wanted to set the friend record the straight. And the friend of the show. So he said to KD, I wanted you to go to the Knicks. And KD said, oh, definitely. My dad, you, uncle, love the Knicks, everybody. Kleiman goes, admit, the Knicks are cool. KD goes, at that time they weren't. The Knicks weren't cool, but they are a cool brand. Like right now, they popping. Last few years, but before that, the brand was cool, but... I was looking at the team, and the team was not cool to play for. The team was not cool to watch. I might have embellished or lied a little bit about the brand. I might have thrown the brand in there, too. But, of course, the Knicks brand, like living in New York, made me truly realize how it's the greatest city in the world. Well, he, here's what that answer tells me. I wonder if you guys feel the same way. You're Kevin Durant. Right. If you went to the Knicks... They'd be exponentially better than before you came to the Knicks. You can't tell me that the Brooklyn Nets were this great destination before you and Kyrie went there. So what about the I, Nets I, cool. I, no, the Nets weren't cool. I mean, the Brooklyn aspects of it uh, of it is cool. But you know what I mean. If you have belief in yourself, and I think that Charles Barkley said, "I I love KD, but he's not he's not a leader. He's a follower." And that comment right there tells me he's a follower. Because if you believe in yourself, if you're like if LeBron James really believes in himself, which we know he does, he's going to the Knicks even when they're not at the top of the game. And now you can say, well, he didn't. I think he wanted to go to Miami. It wasn't that he didn't. He the the Knicks didn't float his boat. But for Durant to admit, well, they weren't popping then. Well, you would have made them pop in. It's the worst decision he ever made to follow Kyrie to Brooklyn. Can you imagine the buzz, Peter? If if Durant came to the Garden, and you're going to tell me that's not cool, yeah, you couldn't I, make the Knicks cool and better as a team. Well, maybe it really is something that about himself because I, I appreciate his honesty. He stuck with the, you know, because it was he originally said the thing about the Knicks not being cool on Hot 97. You remember that? Yep, that's your. Uh, it was with me. It was with me and Ebro, and he said it wasn't cool. I, I respect that he's sticking with it now and saying, like, no, I don't think the team was particularly cool then. But to your point, 
maybe you don't see yourself the way we all do. And by the way, I don't think he does. I do not think KD truly sees himself as the cool, iconic player that he is. But he has to know how great he he is, though. I, I think I think it's a weird mix, you know, like sometimes we think of these athletes as being not human. He's a human being. And I, I think that he while he constantly fights to get his respect and we've seen him have those moments where he sort of explodes on social media, you know, and, and fights with people because he wants his respect, I think like a regular human being, he also still doesn't quite see it when he looks in the mirror. He's telling everyone he's that well, but I don't know, Don, that he believes it. That he Because we well, all know that number 35 Knicks jersey would have made the Knicks the hottest thing smoking in sports. Well, and, and that's why I don't think he was telling the truth. I don't think it had anything to do with being cool. It had to do with the pressures of coming to the Garden and the expectations and the media and New York. That's what made it kind of uncool to him. What he was really saying is, if I fail with the Knicks, it would be too epic and I can't do that. The Nets, that's one thing. You know, uh, going uh, to Golden State, yeah, there were certain pressures, obviously, because if they didn't win, it'd be on him since that team had won without him. But I don't know how much pressure the media in the Bay Area would have been on him. But here in New York, remember, this was a guy that had a headline changed in Oklahoma City. So I think cool was cover for, I don't know if I could stand the heat of Madison Square but Garden it, and New York City. But he did say they're not cool. they weren't a good team. But my point is, even if he doesn't think he's cool, like Peter surmises, he has to know how great he is. I think he's he's got a, a good well, grip on the fact that he's an all-time great. You go to the Garden, you make that a destination, you make that a better team. Right, but if you fail there, it would be gargantuan. Now, yeah, I don't know if he went that deep. I don't, even, I don't well, know if he went I, that deep. I, I, I think they all go that deep because I think they understand, man, you better win in New York because they're not going to let you up, man. Now, when I say New York, Brooklyn's obviously in New York, and it was an epic fail, but the Nets don't have the attention the Knicks have. I don't know if there is the demand, the fan base. You come to New York, the pressure that you're going to feel, and it's on every level. You know, we, we bring up Mark Messier. When he came to New York, he failed the first two seasons here, Michael, and it almost he became a punchline. Adam Sandler was telling jokes on Saturday Night Live about Mark Messier. We, we forget about that because in year three, they win the cup, and it's all great. But before then, it was like, he's failing. He can't win. He can't take the pressure in New York because that's what happens when you play in Manhattan. I think all the players realize that in all sports. Reggie ate it up. Um, uh, Mark Messier ate it up. Loved that pressure. I'm sure some athletes do not want to have to come where it's win or bust and to feel that type of pressure. And I think that's that's the issue. And he also got led around by Kyrie, which was his big mistake. Hey, Anita Marks will be live from the park at UBS Arena on Saturday, February 24th, starting at noon before the Islanders matinee matchup against Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, we're giving away four pairs of lower bowl tickets plus one pair of premium club seats at ESPNNewYork.com or on the ESPN New York app. Just scroll down to contest and submit your entry. Join the New York Islanders for every thrilling matchup in March. Take advantage of special ticket pricing for upcoming home games at UBS Arena and be there for all the exciting action on the ice. Get your tickets today at NewYorkIslanders.com slash March. We'll hear from 
the Yankee captain, Aaron Judge, in just a moment. Getting excited or getting engaged will be one of the most exciting times of your life. And the winning team at London Jewelers is there to help you pop the question. The cutting-edge technology and trained professionals at London Jewelers can help you select a ring from their 2 by London collection or design the absolute perfect ring at any budget. So whether you're starting out or starting over, let the engagement experts at London Jewelers help you. Visit London Jewelers at any of their seven locations, including the Americana Manhasset and the Mall at Short Hills. Thanks for listening to the Michael K. Show podcast. Hear more of Michael, Don, and Peter live weekday afternoon starting at 3 on 98.7 ESPN in New York. The ESPN app, the TuneIn app, or on your smart speaker. Hey Alexa, play 98.7 ESPN.